recording live from the podcast that's building a wall around Atlanta and making Ron Mexico pay for it. It's the Seahawks Nest Podcast. That was gold, Nathan. That was an anal warts reference. That was great. Yeah, sorry. I just had to bring up the classic Ron Mexico. Ron Mexico. Who is your favorite Falcons quarterback? Uh, Ron Mexico. Ron Mexico. Uh, by else? the way, I uh, my uh, super secret Ron, uh, Ron Santo name generator uh, popped out with Pedro Antarctica. So you gotta, when I go yeah. on the run, that's what I'm going <laughs> with. Le- le- lean in a little bit. Uh, I gotta, I gotta I, lean into that one. I don't want to adjust uh, everyone's one. mic levels. <laughs> uh, <laughs> welcome back to the Seahawks Nest. Uh, we are in the playoffs. Seahawks playoffs. in the playoffs. Playoffs? Uh, in, in, case, uh, in case you're not in on the joke, Talking Ron Mexico was time. the... Alias for one Michael Vick when he would have a supposed alias. Supposed alias. I think it was his alias. It's I don't too think good. He was ever convicted <laughs> of that. Of that. He got convicted of other. Things. Yeah, but not of being Ron Mexico. Yeah, when he. What is it? Was he it did his time? Was it prostitution? I think it was that he no. just like spread STDs knowingly yes. without, uh, and then didn't disclose that he had STDs. Yes, to people. That was the. Uh... To be fair, though, he said that Ron Mexico had STDs. Yes. <laughs> Just not Michael Vick. Uh, my my favorite thing about that though is when that story came out, the NFL said we will not be making any custom jerseys with the last name Mexico, which yeah. is like they they uh, banned in the NFL shop. You could not buy a Falcons number seven Mexico jersey. It's which obviously, oh man, people were like, I'm getting a Mexico jersey. I mean, it's so great. If I was a Falcons fan, I would have been all over the Ron Mexico 7. Oh, it would yeah. have been so good. So uh, we're coming off a win against the Lions. What was it, 26-6? to six? That's it. Yeah. Uh, a crock-potting. A crock-potting. Yeah, I like that, Kevin. A crock-potting of the Denver... The Denver, the Detroit What's Lions. Denver, dude. What's a crock potting? That- <laughs> if, if I may explain, but just without being told what I would imagine, it's a slow roast where it starts slow, but then before you notice... Fully cooked through, completely destroyed, ready to devour, crockpotting of the Detroit Lions. That is exactly it. Boom. You uh, you throw it in the crockpot, you put it on low and let it simmer for eight hours. And at first it doesn't seem like it's doing a whole lot, but man, by the end of that, you press on the back of it with a fork and it falls apart. And Jim, I mean, just like Jim Caldwell just defense. destroys honest, himself. Detroit felt so out of the game. Uh, at the only time after the... After 12.55 to go in the second quarter, we never had lower than a 75% win chance, even though the game was 10 to 6. Yep. Like, that's how much we were dominating, like, po- and that's positionally. And just <laughs> you like, don't, it doesn't look like we're dominating until they're just cooked. And you you look up, you're like, man, we aren't doing that. Oh, wait, never mind. We're up by 20. Yeah. Uh, let's go right into Detroit stats, Kevin. I want to hear some offensive stats Can from I Detroit. Yeah. yeah. Two for 11 on third downs. That is the killer. Uh, <laughs> what a Seahawks stat by the Detroit Lions. You can't win if you go two for 11 on third downs. That's a, that's, that's kind of a letdown. You want to know my favorite? Is it, uh, Anquan Bolden? And Eric Ebron combined for four catches on 12 targets. A very Ooh. germane curse day for them. I want to say five drops and three personal foul penalties. I was going to say, you're not even. Had more unsportsmanlike and personal foul penalties than catches. Yeah, you're not, you're not putting that in there. That's even worse. Uh, what about these? We all have our favorite stats. My favorite is the Zach Zenner, which Kevin helped me streamline this stat. At halftime, he was something like. Eight or seven for twenty-eight, and he finished eleven for thirty-four. And but if you take out the seventeen-yard run, he basically went ten for seventeen on rushes. All right, you guys ready for this Awful. one? 
Matt for the Sapp. best white running back. So I was going to say, I was, I was conflicted there for a while where I was like, if we can win 35-32 and there's a good white skill position player again in the NFL, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with this. What about Jordy Nelson? Well, you know. I mean, was, I know you traded him away. Well, he, he, didn't was trade. Gone, he was gone for a while. Nathan, go ahead. Uh, so uh, how about this one? You like, you guys will like this one. Uh, Matt Stafford attempted one pass to the right side of the field. Oh, for one. <laughs> and then this one's even better to me. He attempted two, four, set, uh, two, 10 passes of 10 yards or more. Only 10. And he only hit on two of them. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty sweet. So uh, for... All of you people going, where's the pass rush? The answer was he was getting out of the, the ball out of his hand as soon as he could. Because notice how in the fourth quarter when they had to throw it, that was when uh, the Seahawks racked up three sacks. Yeah, yeah. It's, Golden Tate only had nine yards after the catch. Golden Tate in the game. sucked this game. That man. was my most surprising part of the that game was, was that they did not attack You know the zone which used to have Earl Thomas. It was like, why don't they just do that? And it was like, oh, right. Like Kevin said, Stafford's just getting like ransacked. Yeah, Golden Tate hasn't had less than nine nine or less yards uh, after the catch since week four this season. So, and that, when, that's I, when you start really that, poorly. Generally, like people are saying, like this is a down year for Golden Tate. Well, this yeah. was like his worst game in fifteen weeks. So yeah. that was pretty sweet. Yeah, welcome, yeah. Uh, welcome back to the Seattle for the second time. By the way, uh, that was Nathan Santo just giving us stats. Kevin Garber before. Uh, I'm your host, Eric Ronbeck. With us today. In booth. In booth <laughs> is one executive producer, Hi. Brett Hancock. With us today in the booth. Brett, How are you, fam? With us in the booth today. Brett, what's up? Uh, did you know that Zach Zenner's second carry of the game went for 17 yards? And that all the rest of his carries in the game total went for 17 yards? White people. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought they thought you'd like that. Uh, Kevin, any more awesome stats by Detroit? I mean, we we wrapped, we put a bow on them in one. every possible way. Oh, more what? Go. Bobby Wagner had four uh, stops. He was awesome. Yeah. How many tackles did Wagner have, Kevin? Ten. Yeah, he's Which, amazing. Uh, Detroit did not run that many plays. Getting ten tackles was a lot of tackles because they had a number of plays. Seattle ran considerably more plays than Detroit did. I was going to say you can't get a tackle on an incompletion, so that's yeah. crazy. Uh, Shed got targeted eight times and never gave up a reception. Which makes me so happy. Yeah, Did he have one penalty? That shed it, shed is back. That yeah, like, well, that's the shed from the beginning of the season. Uh, shed, shed did not have a penalty. I asked because... He had no DPI. Going to the game, I heard one person yell he at Shed. Mugged, though. Maybe that was it. That was probably it. He got it. mugged hard. Was Marvin Jones hurt or something? Cause was he just Jones. hurt his team. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, no Marvin, Marvin Jones got crappy after Marvin week nine. Marvin Jones. Okay. All right. That's all I Marvin need to know. Marvin Jones. <laughs> Midtown, USA. He's still he's still my favorite Motown singer, Marvin Jones. All right, let's go to the Seahawks side of the ball. Let's talk all about what do you want to do, rushing attack, or you want to do quarterbacking attack? I was going to make a Marvin Joseph singing the blues now. but Go for it. You just did. That was the subtle drop. Seahawks offensive line for all the woes we've had this year. 23 of the 34 times Russell Wilson dropped back, he was not pressured, which is like Gotta be the one of the best performances of the season. Outside oh, yeah. of George Fane. 18, I'm sorry. He went 18 for 22, two touchdowns on those plays. And even the ones where he did get pressured, five for eight, only took three sacks. I thought that all in all, this was one of the better offensive line games we've had in a long time. And one of those. And let's talk about the, the big thing that happened. That would be Thomas Rawls setting the 
single game playoff rushing record for the Seattle Seahawks. He had room to with run. 161. Too. And there were a couple of times there, uh, there was a, in the third quarter, there was a run play where there was like a 10 yard hole. They, uh, Afedi and Britt just sealed Glow- it. Glowinski had an awesome game. I'm, you Glowinski know, I've had been, a good game. I'm kind of hot and cold on Glowinski saying like he's a useful NFL player, but I'm not sure if he's like, you know, truly top tier starter caliber. He showed a lot in this game. I feel like he was really, really effective. Yeah. And I thought Luke Wilson had a really interestingly good game as a lead blocker. Yeah. He fell down on the catch. <laughs> and on, so honestly, though, here's the thing. He rolled three yards, and it was beautiful. Like, never give up. I'm oh, getting three yards. About, He's about, so Canadian. How about, <laughs> how about Doug Baldwin? 11 for 12. Uh, and also, the best Doug Baldwin thing is, did you guys know he caught all those passes against seven different defenders? Really? Oh, I thought you were going to say the best part was when he caught it with his butt. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, that's... I thought you guys were going to say is when he took the ball away from Jermaine that, Curse, not yes. allowing a drop by Jermaine Curse. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. Play of the you're year. right. You're... Doug you Baldwin, Doug MVP. Baldwin is, that's a leader right there. Yeah, Doug, but Doug Baldwin, Baldwin, he's Mr. Consistency, man. He just yeah. he puts in the work. Hey, man, the Jets have the butt fumble. I'll take the butt catch for my team. I randomly watched that Jets-Patriots butt fumble game. As it happened, I was like, this might be the greatest sequence of plays in, in NFL history. But let's really quickly take a look. So Doug Baldwin... 11 catches on 12 targets. And like I said, because that's what Doug Baldwin does. Seven different, seven different defenders, which means he was being asked to line up in different positions, being asked to do different things, and it didn't matter where we put him, he was successful. And he had a jet sweep for six yards that could have gone for more, but he stepped out. Yes, and he was was angry about it. He He was was. very angry. Because that's, because that's Doug Baldwin. Doug, for as much as Thomas Rawls set the tone in the first half, Doug Baldwin took over the second half. You could tell they started off the game going, all right, we're going to force you to, to win running the ball. And the passing game was efficient, but it wasn't getting a ton. But Rawls just peppered him. That is part of Detroit's strategy is to slow the game down, make the game take a long time so you can never build too huge of a lead. And so they're like, okay, just run. Just go ahead and run. And then they're like, wait, this isn't going quite the yeah, way we expected. Wait a minute. Rawls just ran over nine guys and broke their face masks. Let's, let's rethink this strategy. Their defensive line is surprisingly bad, I will say. That was my biggest takeaway. Yeah, Ziggy Ansa's really good. And then... Um, and uh, what's no, the last thing? Hyde? Haloti Nagata. Nagata is just not – he has had a great career, uh, but I'm just not sure if he really has it anymore. I don't know what happened. He's 32 years old, and maybe he's just a little bit past his prime. Maybe he needs to get some HGH from some of these other players or something. I don't know. <laughs> from every other player. He needs to play with another bigger guy in a 4-3 scheme. You That's think what that you think the the three four Holodina Nagata is over? I don't think he's a nose tackle right now. I don't think he has the strength and the movement. Skills. He does want to keep playing. You he's think not he's... Ted Washington. Mm. Not everybody can be a nose tackle forever. Forever. Yeah, he, it does wear you down. You're getting double teamed on every play. You're being asked to fill two gaps basically, which is yep. a really hard job. I mean, despite his individual contributions, you know, like however good they may have been, they were dead last in DVOA in defense on the year. So. Yeah, hard to uh, you know. They hard have to some, glean too much talent out of that. Yeah, they have some individually decent players, but on the whole, they're the terrible defense. Uh, they're they're supposed to be better against the rush than the pass, but I didn't really see it. Wait, no, one no, one no, thing no, the no. Seahawks did that is not going to show up in exact stats. We we stopped the Matt Stafford hype train. Matt Stafford all year waits until the last two minutes and then he puts together a solid drive, even in losses. Not not this game. No, uh, Cliff Averill built houses. Yes, on his grave. yes, he did. <laughs> I mean, the like 
like my question for years has been like, okay, who is Matt Stafford's like comparable quarterback, right? Like at his best and then at his worst. And I still don't know. And it's what you're like, Jeff George seven where it's like, okay, why it's Jeff George that doesn't get traded all the time. That like, that's pretty wise, Kevin. And Jeff George was a top five nineties quarterback for most of the nineties. All right. For like seven different teams. I really can't argue that. It's just, I don't know. It was just a weird... It's a weird comparison, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was just a weird performance because it was like, wait... I could tell when like, I said that, you're like, I still don't know what that means. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> didn't I hear Stafford and MVP in the same sentence for like six weeks? He's got all the arm talent in the world. Yeah. His decision-making is okay. His athleticism is pretty solid. His supporting cast is not great. And if anything goes wrong, it's a problem. I, Speaking of if anything goes wrong, back to Thomas Rawls real quick. I want to go ahead and state my Thomas Rawls theory. And so my Thomas Rawls comparison is Des Bryant. Hmm. Des Bryant, if he's injured in any way, is one-fifth the player. I think Thomas Rawls is the same. Because we saw in this game, he was healthy, the healthiest he's been all year, and he played his best game by far. And he runs so wild and so out of control and so physical that... When he gets banged up, if everything's not happening exactly the way that it should, he runs into problems. My like problem with that. Thomas Rawls is that he runs crazy. Like, he just is totally out of control. It can never be a feature back for that reason because he'll never play a full and season. At least he I'm doesn't really, fall down. It makes me excited that we're getting our, uh, our number two running back back this week. It's, it's like, uh, it's really going to take. Now, this is CJ Procise you're talking about. He, he has practiced. Is he, is he going to play, you guys think? Yeah, I think he's going to play. He's listed yeah. as questionable, but all signs indicate he will. Yeah, it's it's pointing towards like we need him on the field to change it up, and I don't disagree with that. I think that he's an important. Yeah. If our if we're gonna be successful in this game, I think he's an important piece of that. The Falcons' defense is bad, and they they showed when when Procise was healthy that they have a number of ideas of how to get him the ball, and we, good shit happens. When well, he we can go deeper on this in a minute. Is there anything yeah. else we want to cover in the Lions game? Uh, I just wanted to go over how efficient the passing game was. Sure. Um, you know, Doug again, eleven for twelve because he's the most reliable target. One of the most reliable in the NFL. Um, Jimmy was three for four. He played his game. He was getting triple teamed all day. So anyone wants to complain about him not getting catches? I mean, it's, uh, it's why Doug Nate, was so and open. We'll send you a, a picture. It's that's why Doug was open all game. Yep. And uh, the other thing I really liked, uh, Paul Richardson had a couple of great catches. It was kind of a coming out party. You wouldn't think to look at it. To, you wouldn't think about it, but his stat line is only. Three catches on four targets for 48 yards. Two big but catches, though. A big down right? catch and yeah. a touchdown. The huge touchdown catch going back through the defender. Yeah, and I want to talk about that touchdown because uh, it would have been pass interference on the defense, which would have put the ball at the one for us. And yes, uh, Paul Richardson did have his face on the uh, on the he visor. The face mask, yeah. However, they could have just redone the play. Let him play at that point. Like the Detroit defender had initiated the contact, and I. I'm sorry, I realize this is coming from a Seahawk fan, but if you're gonna let the five foot four Paul Richardson I don't know, what, five ten, six foot? He's six foot. The the the, 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 the tiny felt Paul Richardson get around you and steal the ball one handed, you deserve to get beat. Oh man, he picked his pocket. Good. It was beautiful. It was really good. It, it, it was a pickpocket. It was okay, fine, let's go ahead and take that score out. Okay, nineteen six, moving on. Uh what's what about some pass rush, Kevin? We talked about Cliff Averill. Pass rush. So how about, how about some Michael three Bennett? Sacks, five hits. Michael Bennett got a sack, two sacks for Averill. But the big thing was again. People will make comments about the pressure number, but 
there wasn't a lot of quarterback hits because he was getting the ball out so fast. And Nathan talked about this earlier. They were just going all short targets, and so you didn't see a lot of pressure result in hits. It was more like pressure resulted in rushed plays, which is not what Detroit does well. They were forced to play out of their strengths. Well, for the Detroit Lions, uh, they're kind of used to this. For uh, Matt Stafford and them, life Disa- goes on. Disappointment I mean, central, is that what you're saying? Uh, this, their season is over? Is that what their you're saying? Their season here? is over, absolutely. I mean, Detroit mirrors, like, you know, you guys talk about a lot that there's, like, two ways to build a team, right? There's the, like, you build a good team and wait until you get a quarterback, or you just have a good quarterback, and this is, like, your ceiling, right? Like, that team's not very good, but they still have Stafford and enough weapons and, like, they will go nine and seven and lose in the playoffs. If like, they can trade up for like, a really good running like, back, I think they have a chance to grow. If they so, don't do that, they're yeah, going to do what sure. they've always they need done. A defense. They need they need better defensive players. They need better offensive linemen. Like they have two good offensive linemen. They have a solid enough offensive line. Like then they're all their offensive linemen are free agents. Like they have yeah. three offensive linemen free agents, which yeah. is bad. So I mean, given that we did exactly what we should have, and that was just you know put them into the. It's why our it's why what's why our DVOA are. You know, DVO didn't go up that much for the win because we are supposed to beat Detroit at home. Let's be honest. This is a team we should beat at home 26 to 6. Yeah. But this is a team in Seattle that's like 7 and 9 against the spread on the regular season. So yeah. clearly they were not getting the wins that they should have been getting. So this is a good sign. This and the Patriots game felt, oh, and the 49ers game, I guess, felt like the only, like, okay, that's how they should have won, right? The like, first 49ers game? Yeah, the first one. Yeah. 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 Second one, no. Yeah. But this, we this, was, uh, this was a game that we can build upon now as we head to Atlanta. Hot uh, Atlanta. Which it would be nice to see a team coming here, but we, we, we totally squandered that game against the Cardinals. Matt Ryan, MVP candidate, MVP probably probable winner. He's, uh, he's certainly deserving of it. They have a very nice rushing attack with Devonta Freeman, Tyler Gabriel, and uh, who's the guy I'm forgetting? Mohamed Sanu. No. Oh yeah, the other running back. They, uh, yeah, Atlanta has oh. Mohamed Sanu. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Who's the running back? The Dante second Freeman. One. No. Dante Freeman and Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman. I almost said Tavon Austin because Taylor Gabriel is a wide receiver. Yeah, but they run him out of the backfield as a running back frequently, and I know that because I I study that for fantasy football. Oh. They also do have. See you guys later. Do not forget. Uh, they have that. Who's that? Who's that Spanish guy they got playing wide receiver? Julio, Julio Jones. That Come on, Spanish guy that Spanish guy. Receiver. They also have a new stadium that looks like Darth Vader's butthole. Yeah, <laughs> we got to put that on the Twitter. It's actually quite terrible. Yeah, don't don't put that on the Twitter. Don't NSFW. It's the worst. Honestly, the Atlanta Falcons stadium is obscene. The new one coming next year. It's just obscene. So, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about first with the Atlanta Falcons? Um. Because we can talk about our attack. I'd like to do that. I'd like to end on a high note, but I want to say, what what does Atlanta have? Atlanta has the number not one have? offense and the number one passing offense. And <laughs> if you start breaking it down by metrics, um, scores per drive or scores per play, touchdowns per drive, um, first downs, yardage, by most measures, their offense is top three in the NFL and everything and number one in many things. Their offense is lights out. Awful. I don't want to hear it. Their defense has uh, a good but slightly overrated pass rush and a surprisingly good secondary. 
They uh, did lose their they, number one corner. Yes, at the end they of the lost. Year. They lost Trufant like halfway through the season, but their the rookie Desmond Trufant. I thought they lost him like week thirteen. I, or 14. I thought it was more like week nine. But either way, it doesn't matter. He's not there now. But they the, their rookie step. They have a rookie cornerback that stepped in and has played really well in the meantime. His name is Jalen Collins, and he uh, is the seventeenth rated cornerback on Pro Football Focus. Yeah, and Kenny Alfred still gets too many pass so, interference penalties, but, but he's done well. I'm gonna I want to talk for a second why Vic Vic Beasley is totally overrated. Uh, Vic Lee, Vic Beasley reads, leads the league in sacks. Vic Beasley, what is my his position? Defensive end, edge rusher. Let's just call him edge, edge rusher. rusher off of the weak side. Let's just call people edge rushers now because I'm tired of trying to make a difference between a four three and a, a three four and having these three four outside linebackers stop KJ from going to the Pro Bowl. <laughs> uh, um, because that they're really they're edge rushers, right? So. Uh, Vic Beasley is an edge rusher. He plays on the edge. He rushes the passer. That's all he does. He leads the league in sacks. He has had four multiple sack games against some of the worst left tackles in the league, uh, which means he probably will get a multiple sack game in right this tackles, game. Right tackles, I believe. He's, uh, he rushes on the right side. That was one of the big moves they way, did that's... last year was they moved him to the right side. So he was going against the I just know this. The average and... pro football focus rating of the tackles he rushed against was 56.8 mm-hmm. in those four games. Yeah, but look who he's horrible. going up against this weekend. But guess what? I mean, our tackles our tackles are like 50. In, our, their ratings are in the 50s. Yes. So yes. it could be another good game for him. That being to... said, Khalil Mack had two less sacks but had 40 more pressures. Just as an example of a random guy who that's a crazy is, stat. is – much better. This, Vic Beasley does not create a lot of pressure. He just got home a lot, especially against bad teams. Well, uh, yeah, and I'm assuming that the Falcons were up by a large portion. He like, he, he converted 28.6% of his pressures into sacks, which is totally unsustainable. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if in this game he only got like one sack, even though the metrics might point you in the direction that he's good. And I don't think he should win the Defensive Player of the Year for this and many other reasons. I would like to he's see. He's kind of the RBIs Khal- of sacks, right? Khalil now. Mack would be a better <laughs> choice um, as just like the leader of a twelve and four defense. Uh, Bobby Wagner would definitely be my first choice, but it's not. He, I just don't think he has a chance because I don't think Bobby gets the respect that he deserves because no. the defense on the whole is so good. Uh, he doesn't get the credit, but uh, yeah, there's lots of guys out there that I would like to see win it before him. Uh, but, you know, here we go. Well, and to back up your number, Atlanta, despite having the number one uh, player in sacks, they're 24th in adjusted sack rate. They're in the bottom 10 in the league in pressure rate. Like, they just, uh, yeah, exactly like Nate said, for as many times as they sacked a quarterback, they have not done a very good job of getting any kind of consistent pressure. And we even saw that. With a hobbled Russ, you know, when we beat them 26 to 24 in Atlanta earlier this year. In, in Seattle. Game was here. Yes, it was oh, here. excuse me. We won by four here. The, and we got bailed out by the, uh, Julio Jones should have, uh, passed, that should have been a pass interference. This was, this is the, that, yeah. this is the national meet. This is the national that is, take. That is what the story uh, would be. I'm, and I'm, I'm not, I actually don't totally disagree with it in terms of like, yeah, they should probably should have called a penalty on that play, but it doesn't it's matter. Called the whole game. It doesn't matter. Like the game's over. And, uh, the pro- Atlanta runs the ball really well too. Yeah. Uh, they're seventh in rushing DVOA. Their offense is just lights out. Uh, they have two good running backs. They have three good wide receivers. They have a somewhat useful tight end. Yeah. They know how to use Austin. Jacob Cooper, Tammy. Who's a rookie. Tammy, yeah, yeah. I thought Tammy was on IR. 
Uh, is is he on IR? Yeah, it's been Austin Hooper for the most part the second half of the season. Um, who's a rookie out of Stanford and oh, it disappoint a, me if a I solid pass catcher. I was like, I was like, yeah, Jacob Tammy. He's been doing Tammy really well. did Tammy did well yeah, for the he, part of the season he was in, but I know I think he's on IR, but I know he's injured for a stretch. Yeah, they have Levine Toilolo too. Yeah, who's like who a torched us. Which who's an all time all time uh, like guy who's on rosters all over the place. Always he's always on. He seems like he's always burning people. Like yeah. he's just like, oh yeah, he still exists. You yep. know, it's like uh. he's he's a dude. He's the Bobby Rainey of good players. Because <laughs> Bobby Rainey certainly isn't. <laughs> um, so let's go into it. How do the Seahawks crack this uh, offense? And you know, the big thing, the big difference for the offense between this year and last year is they've been they invested in their offensive line. Yes, like they they went out and they said, you know what? Let's go ahead and get Alex Mack, the best center, or maybe the second best center in the entire league. The best center whose last name isn't Pouncey, at least. And the, the and, uh, Ted Larson's the other person they picked up, yeah. which was a really smart pick because that goes with the whole don't have any just black holes in your line. Right. So they, they end up rolling out Jake Math. They still got Jake Matthews, Alex, Alex uh, Max out there. And here, they're, they, their offensive line just comes together. It's like, it's like I would say you add one really good guy and it just brings up the level of everyone else just a little bit. And, all of a sudden, your offensive line is cohesive and fantastic, especially at center. I mean, when think about when uh, Justin Britt left for a minute, and like what our bad dump- offensive oh. line was shambles. <laughs> what a dumpster fire we were for a couple weeks. To answer your question, Nathan, I don't think we do crack this side. I think we just hope to, you know, hope to play well enough against their defense that you know we can win like a Pittsburgh. Well, let me give you an area. Last year or New England I got year. some numbers you might like. I was going to say, I was going to, let me give you an area we can do, exploit them a little bit. They I, don't pass protect as good as you would think. Uh, for a team that is first in passing, uh, their pass protection has given up 37 sacks on the year. They're like 27th in adjusted sack, or no, 23rd in 23rd, adjusted yeah. sack rate. Right. Uh, they, they aren't as good, uh, run blocking as you would think either. Like you'd think, oh, they're going to be first. They're actually 10th and they get a lot of runs stuffed. Which is something the Seahawks are really good at. Like the, the the downside of their run offense is not, you know, their second level running is awesome. Their second level blocking is awesome. They when they get, but they get a lot of runs stuffed randomly. So if the Seahawks can get going, stuff some of those runs, yeah. get them in third long, third and long, get pressure on the passer with four guys. I don't know how many times I have to say this, but get home with four guys. Make Matt Ryan throw a bad throw. Matt Ryan has shown time and time again he makes mistakes. So. I think that that's what you got to do. The game plan has to be to, you know, you're going to give up some yardage, but make sure that you get, you know, when you get a run stuff, the next play you get them into a third and long, then that third and long turns into uh, you make Matt Ryan Matt, run for his life. Matt, you Matt Ryan is is going to die, you know. So that's 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 my uh, how the Seahawks beat Atlanta. Well, he also relies on Julio Jones almost too much there was a game i don't think it was against cincinnati because i don't think they played the afc north it was against the jet remember that game against the jets where he had like 270 yards receiving well i was thinking about the game where the falcons lost and it was because ryan got picked twice in late in the fourth quarter and they were both on passage to julio jones because he was they were trying to come back they were down like 10 and he just kept going for julio and the defense saw it and just intercepted the pass and this wasn't a good team that did it i can't remember that was that um, tampa it may have been Tampa. That might have been Kevin. week one Tampa win. It wasn't week one. It was I want to say it was like week seven, week eight, something like that. Either way, uh Matt Ryan, for those of us who've watched him for years, he's having a great year, but like every quarterback who can get pressured, Matt Ryan just makes dumb mistakes. 
Kevin, you had a stat you wanted to go into. The other thing I wanted to bring up uh, as far as stopping the offense, again, goes around that run game. And I think Nate's keying on this without saying it. What Seattle's great at doing is you just don't get to run the ball, and now you're one-dimensional. And in the NFL, being one-dimensional sucks. And so the Falcons were a really, like, average to slightly below average team running the ball to the left side where they were the best was running the ball up the middle in the guard center gaps and in the uh yeah in the two gap between the right guard and right center running behind alex mack real real good they were the number one team running behind alex mack and the number nine team running in the on the right side between the guard and the tackle in those two same spots seattle's fourth in defending it because a Tiberuman is about seven foot twenty and forty seven tons. <laughs> he's he's my dishwasher. He he's, just, my, he's my washing machine. That man is enormous. Yeah, and he does not care what you want to do. He will impose his will upon you. And so the thing, the the part of the run game for Atlanta that gets them their yardage. The one place they can reliably get to that second level is the place where Seattle is the best at just saying, you don't get to do that. And so this is where Ruben occupies two guys, and Bobby Wagner just comes in and shuts you down. I think you'll be surprised how much we're able to slow down Atlanta's offense. Everyone is talking like they're just going to score 30 points. Like, that's a given. And I don't think it's a gimme at all. I think that there's a, a good chance that we keep them closer to 24, 27, 21, something like that, which is a much more manageable scoreline for the Seahawks offense. Yes. I mean, the Seahawks definitely are not inexperienced. They're coming back from 21-point deficits at several points in their, you know, in the last five years. So, Well, going back to the early season win against Atlanta, that was the first game, I believe, this year where Richard Sherman had an outburst. He was very upset. Yes. Uh, possibly with the offense, because we really don't know. We, he he was mad about something. A lot of people, though, think that it was that he had to leave his his right side of the field and that he had to follow Julio around everywhere. With no Earl Thomas, what are we doing with Richard Sherman this game? I don't think you do it. You don't shadow. No, are you saying? I'm not saying what you want because I think we all want Sherman to stay on his right side. But what do you think the Hawks are going to do? What That's do you think Pete Carroll's going to do? You think they're going to go back to they like... They basically stop shadowing right around that time yeah. because they realize it causes too much of a domino effect on the defense. Yep. Sherman Sherman has uh, has really switched over to a, uh, like, I'm going to stay on the right side of the field thing again. And I, it was the week that we really ripped into the defensive scheme. So they obviously listened to the podcast. Naturally. Fact, I mean, they gave up 21, you know, unanswered points in that in that Falcons game. To that tight end whose name everybody forgot five seconds after we just said it. Toy Lolo. Yes. So Levi. Levi? You don't, you don't get Levi with a last name Toy Lolo. That's weird. <laughs> You're out. You're out, Toy Lolo. I mean, yeah. Like our defense is at its best when we stop the run without doing anything. You know, by just like by just hey, we're just gonna run this defense that we always run. And you know, if you can plot along at two, three yards per carry, like everything else falls into place. We just have to watch out because they're saying Tony McDaniel might be out for this game. That would be a bit of a blow to our run defense. Jaron Reed's real good at run defending. Mm-hmm. A type of Ruben is the man, but Tony McDaniel is another really is he big body. He's the person who lets you take one of those guys out of the game and it doesn't hurt. Um, I want to switch to offense. We have Thomas Rawls. We have the greatness of Doug Baldwin. 
Uh, we have Russell Wilson and Jermaine Curse is probably going to be in that game a little more than we want him in there. Uh, the offensive line, I think, is obviously the key to our success and our woes. What do you see from our offense in this game? Our, our, there's two things about Atlanta's defense that I think would surprise most people is that one, their secondary is a bunch of young guys and then one old guy. And then it's better than, it, <laughs> is the old guy true font? It's better than it seems. No. <laughs> Uh, it's better than it seems at first at first blush, but they really are not good at stopping the run, and uh, they they really struggle to start to slow run games down. Now, in a lot of games for them, it ends up not mattering because the teams get down by twenty one points and they have to throw all the time. And like I said, the secondary is surprisingly effective. It's not great. It's not like it's like the an awesome secondary or something. It's just a league average secondary, which is much better than I think most people would have expected coming into the season, especially if Trufant got hurt. So I think that's a big thing. And another, so we're going to have to run. We're going to have to run and we're going to have to keep the game close enough that we can continue to establish the run. Another thing is they suck at defending running back passes. And so CJ Procise coming in and being able to catch running back passes, I think is an important factor for the offense. I'm shooting it over to Kevin, who's I'm sure got more passing game stats than me. Yeah, I absolutely agree. They're, uh, they're terrible at defending running backs in the past game, which also Alex Collins has shown an ability to do that. He can burn a defense there. The other thing, but but, but ideally, would you you'd much rather have Procise back, right? That is not a question worth even asking. <laughs> would I rather sure. have the wide receiver that plays running back back? Yes, yes, I would. As a matter of fact, I think it'd be awesome if we saw a couple of two running back sets where we start flexing CJ Procise around and really screwing with the defense because I don't think oh. that Atlanta can handle that because Atlanta has a lot of young players like Nate was just talking about. And the best way to confuse young players is with shifts, motions, and changes. And so this could really throw them off. So, Kevin, I, I just had a question, though. You said you wanted a running back that plays wide receiver back, but you were you were not talking about George Farmer? No, I, I was not. <laughs> Yikes. You're a bad just, person. Just had to double check. Uh, I'll take Marcel Reese for 5000 <laughs> Alex. Um, Marcel Reese also dealing with injury problems might not play. Yeah, which would be unfortunate because he could be a weapon in this game. Oh, yeah. he's He's been... You know, the thing is that I like about us is we've used him creatively. Oakland basically like said, you're a fullback most of the time and we're going to just surprise people with you every once in a while. Seattle has been like, no, you're going to be a important kind of weird cog that we're going to throw out there for 30% of the snaps. Yep. Which is, uh, I think, a big upgrade for him in his career and for us. It's been really effective. He's been much more effective than Tukuafu because he keeps defenses off balance. The other thing that I'm thinking about the Seattle pass game, the other thing I'm noticing is that... Atlanta. So Atlanta made some interesting decisions. Actually, well, let's go to the run. So Atlanta had to decide. Atlanta's defense last year was terrible. And so they got young and they got fast, but they really sacrificed a lot of size. I was going to Beasley is small for um, an edge rusher. He can be pushed around. Uh, Deion Jones, who's their middle linebacker out of LSU. He's one of those sideline to sideline guys. He's really fast, but he's undersized. Keanu Neal is supposed to be their cam chancellor, but he's young, he's a little aggressive, and he doesn't make the right reads a lot of the time. So there is the ability to push them around, and the inside of our offensive line has shown if there's one thing they love, it's mauling people and pushing them around. Well, it's, it's funny, when Nathan was talking about their defense, how it was league average this year, 
and then you said that they were really bad last year, improved defense. If you're really bad one year and you bring yourself up to average, that's quite the improvement. Bring that to the fact that you said they have undersized defensive players. They're small, fast, tough, but ultimately undersized. This reminds me of a certain Super Bowl team from 2005. Seattle Seahawks. There's with, some similarities if they weren't so injured. Yeah, I was going to say it's uh, the 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 patented bend but don't break defense. Something that like at the time it was like, yeah, you know, we got some players. But looking back, like Lofa Tutupu, I like that guy. He was a tackle machine. He got bowled over a lot. Yeah, uh, Marcus Trufant, I like as a corner. Our other corners were garbage. Uh, we relied on Marcus Trufant to take the best receiver and. He certainly wasn't Sherman. How many similarities are there in this defense? I think there's quite a few. You know, I, I definitely think that's a good comparison there. You know, the other thing I'll say is, like we just talked about with the run game, between, you know, Atlanta's strength is running straight up against Seattle's strength on those inside runs. Seattle's strength is runs to the right side, running over uh, the in the guard tackle gap on the right side. That is the worst spot for run defense on Atlanta. Atlanta is um, in the bottom part of the league. They're dead last defending runs uh, on the guard tackle gap on the right side. Seattle on the guard tackle gap is middle to upper part of the league. So it's just one of those things where Atlanta is in a situation where the stuff they do best on offense through the run game is exactly what Seattle is built to stop. The stuff that Atlanta, their entire the entire Atlanta defense, all of their weaknesses are the places where Seattle's the strongest. And so for that reason, if this turns into a quasi shootout, like it did last time in a lot of ways, this is a Seattle team that can hang with them. We're gonna miss Earl. Earl Thomas, if Earl Thomas was in this game, I would feel really good about picking Seattle. With Earl out, that's the whole reason why I'm, it makes me wear it makes me wary of it. Yeah, the deep the deep middle of the field's going to be open a couple times in this game and that's going to that that could burn us. Expect a couple big plays at least. Toxic toxic differential is important in this game and these are two teams that I think rely heavily on toxic differential. They, and Seattle they, has not been able to pick the ball off this year. They have they have a ton of guys that can bust big plays. Not just not just Julio Jones. Uh, both their running backs are big play machines. And Gabriel. Uh, Tevin Coleman and, and Devontae Freeman both bust big play after big play. If we look at the sporting charts, sporting charts 2016 toxic differential, we would see that the big play differential for Atlanta puts them third in the league with 18 big plays and their toxic differential overall is third with a positive 11 turnover ratio. So winning that battle is going to be a big, a big step for the Seahawks in the right direction. Uh, our turnover differential this year actually is only positive one. You know, Kevin's right. We're not we're not turning the getting those turnovers like we used to. Yeah. You know, and the other thing to think about is this. The the thing that I like though is KJ Wright's playing the best year of his career, and if there's a week where that's going to feel great, it's this week. We need the best version of KJ Wright and the best version of in the box Cam Chancellor if we want to be able to really limit this team. I was really impressed with the... We didn't talk about this in the Detroit game, but I was impressed with Cam, with Cam's coverage skills in the Cam Detroit game. Cam played a good game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like this game... I mean, you don't know what it's going to come down to, ultimately, but when we played Atlanta, 
we were up by 21. We let them go 21 unanswered. I feel like that was catch-up football in a sense. I feel like we dominated them in that game. We had Earl. We don't now. I feel like it's going to come down to Pete Carroll versus Dan Quinn, which is really strange. But because I don't, I don't know if Dan Quinn is like this great coach. I, we, we joke about Gus Bradley being, you know, fired as the Jacksonville Jaguar coach, but I don't, I don't really know. I mean, Gus Bradley is a good coach and he comes from the Pete Carroll coaching tree. Dan Quinn is a good coach. I don't know how great these guys are, but I feel like Dan Quinn, he does know Pete Carroll enough and vice versa. I think it's going to come down to who game plans every, every bit of the field in this game. And I, I know that's that's a hot take, I guess, but I just feel like I don't want to under, underestimate Dan Quinn in this. I think I think any similarities, you know, in coaching ability and talent is probably offset by where the talent on the field lies. You know, like Dan Quinn doesn't have, I mean, like Frank Clark's arguably our third best lineman. He would be the best lineman on the Falcons. You know, like we have Richard Sherman, like he doesn't. So I think we have more talent in, you know. In a, in a wider spread than Dan Quinn does, and I think that's ultimately what will... Their offensive line has undeniably talented people on it, though. Jake yeah. Matthews and Alex Mack are, would be the number one and number two best offensive linemen right. on the Seahawks. But we know that their offense is good, so if we can negate the things that their offense does well, then it'll come down to if Carroll we can, versus Quinn. If we can take out the running game, yeah. like we did when we first played them. That's our best hope, is we mm-hmm. stuff yeah. runs, mm-hmm. and they can only run for 30 or 40 yards. If you look at games Atlanta lost this year, that was kind of the formula people took mm-hmm. against them. If Julio Jones comes out and has 90 yards and a touchdown against us, I'm feeling pretty good if we shut down that run game. Yeah, You can sure. have over 100 yards. As he long as had over happen. 100 yards and two touchdowns in the first game. I want to say he had a very good game. He had a, he had a strong game that game. But I think something that people are forgetting... There were a lot of Seahawks players that were injured for that game. Thomas Rawls was out. Cam Chancellor was out. Michael Bennett was out for that fourth quarter. And if you want to talk about somebody who's going to be pissed oh, off and ready to play, shoot, that's Jake right. Matthews is on the receiving end Michael Bennett. of a personal Michael Bennett vendetta. Michael Bennett had, <laughs> and if had I'm kids to feed. people and to be mad at me, I am not picking Michael Bennett because no. he might eat me. And uh, here, here's, he might be here's, your, here's your, uh, your telling stat. Okay? That man's in, getting coal in his stocking. They lost five games. In, the, in those five games, they had, their six, they had two good rushing performances, 130 and 128 against the Chargers and the Chiefs, and they had their three worst rushing performances of the season, 52 yards against the Buccaneers, 52 yards against the Seahawks, and 48 yards against the Eagles. They lost those three games. Those were their three worst rushing performances by, like, 38 yards. So, I mean, if you can stop them from running, you probably will beat them. If we can hold them to 75 or less y- yards rushing, I would be stunned if we lost. We're a far better team than the Eagles almost across the board besides offensive line, so that brings me some hope. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to throw that out no, there. It's no, really it's relevant. true. I just like reminding everyone that that the Eagles. I, I laugh. Rapid ascension. They, if you're worrying, all, I about, forgot there were. If Eagles. you're worrying about Nathan jumping to Carson Wentz's defense, don't worry about it, Brett. <laughs> no, that's I wasn't. not like that's not Never a concern. No, I wasn't. <laughs> there's a. They also had at least one turnover in every single one of their losses, except for the opener against the Buccaneers. So that game was a fluke. So though. if we get a turn, if we get a turnover, and we can hold the rush game in check, we got a good shot to win this one. I like so, this. however you feel about that, like for me, I'm I'm feeling fifty fifty on it. I could go either way. I, I feel like we've all we got a chance. It's not like I don't 
I don't feel like I think five points is too much. The Vegas line. Uh, feel like we're a little better than that, but I don't know how much better than that. I do feel like on a neutral field, these teams are fairly evenly matched. Yes. And with Earl Thomas, maybe I would give us a slight edge, like a one point edge, maybe a one and a half point edge. Without Earl, maybe I give them a half a point. You know, they may be just slightly better overall, but these teams are very evenly matched. I feel like we've got the formula though, and it's not like a secret that we came up with. I feel like between the four of us, we've all discussed it. We, we know what each team has to offer. And I, I feel like, I don't feel like this is the first, okay, in 2012 when we played Atlanta, I thought that that was a really hard team to face. We were so close to winning that game, and of all things, our defense kind of imploded and let them drive the field with 28 seconds. Matt Ryan has one playoff win in eight years, and that's the playoff win. Yes, against the and Russell Wilson rookie Seahawks. Roddy White caught like 12 passes in a row. And they should have basically lost and I, did. And I, I, and, I, and I rewatched that game, so I'm here to tell you, yeah. don't bother. It's real fucking sad. Okay, but anyway, go, whoa. Anyway, go ahead. Brett putting a fiver in the swear jar. I right would there. put in twenty five more dollars just to say how sad that game is. Let again. me let me ask you about that game though. <laughs> I don't more. I don't want to dwell on it. But how was that game before overtime, or the before it, the final it didn't drive? Go overtime. I mean, before the final drive. Before the final drive. Well, I just remember our offense was ineffective. Their I, their offense hit a couple big plays, and then we just completely adjusted at halftime, and it was like a completely different team. Yeah, I don't I don't want to go too deep on story time, but I remember I watched the game with Brett. We were at his house. We're downstairs. Uh, Brett, it's Brett, me. I think Mike's there, Mike right? Was there. And we're we're hanging out. We're watching the game, and everyone's like freaking out. And I just go, "Don't worry, man. Matt Ryan is gonna mess this up." And he just starts playing terrible. Like he just played so was, bad in the second half of that game. It was it was two plays later after you said that that he threw an interception to Earl Thomas, and it was like everyone in that room was just like, minds just blew wide open. Because like, this is the funniest thing that's ever Matt happened. Matt Ryan is just, he's going to mess it up. Like, it's, it's just the way he was. The man is clockwork. He was really is, bad in that second On that last drive of the game, I think Sherman was just too young. Like, it was, he was not mature as a football player, and he got kind of tore up on the last drive of that game. He was, he got, I don't know if Roddy White was in his head, or I don't know what happened, but he they went straight at him, like, six plays in a row. And it just and they got in field goal range to kick the field goal and they won the game. Like, oh, 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 oh. What? They missed the field goal. Pete Carroll called timeout. Then they made the field goal. And then goal. Pete Carroll That's tried it. Pete Carroll said, oh, I didn't call timeout. That was my favorite yes. moment. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He tried to hustle the officials for like three minutes and they were just looking at him just like, dude, come on. Like, oh, like we yeah. just want to go home. Thankfully, the condensed version did not have that. So I had to go back to broadcast. <laughs> so I had to go back to broadcast and then go back and watch it. And sure enough, yeah. As okay. As you remember. Let's, uh, let's go picks, gentlemen. Picks for this game this Saturday night against the Falcons. See, all right. Are, I'm debating whether I want to do a reverse jinx dude. or if I want to, uh, I'm going to go for the reverse jinx. Uh, Atlanta wins a squeaker, 27-26. On my, on my day of birth, they cannot lose. But Hauschka will miss an extra point when it will like definitely matter. That's kind of what I'm thinking, too. Yeah. That's my 27-26 is a missed extra point. It's 29-24 Seahawks, but it will be very, very close. I have... Brett, you just ruined the reverse jinx. I just want you to know. Sorry, right, it's my birthday. I don't have to do it. <laughs> um, Atlanta up twenty four twenty until Russell Wilson just sets the internet ablaze and absolutely kills the heart of every Forty ers fan as he single handedly wills the offense 
to a touchdown and a 27-24 win. Oh. And I say 49ers fans because no matter who we beat in the last minute, it's always 49er fans who seem the most pissed about it. <laughs> the most I don't salty. Know why that is? Kevin, you should But it's so fun. You should have said uh you should have said we win 26-24. The best part is I've been thinking about the score for the past couple of days. I think I got to 27. They, he missed the extra point earlier. It's, it's four touchdowns. This four is, touchdowns for okay. 27 points. This is my pick for the last couple of days since probably Monday morning. So day and a half. <laughs> it's funny that Nate would say that. And I was like, oh, crap. Because me and Kevin had the same score last week. That was wrong. I predict 26-24 Seahawks. <laughs> no no joke. I've had that for a, a day and a half now. And I don't know, man. I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in us winning this game. But you know what? I didn't have a lot of faith in a 26-6 win over Detroit. I have not had a lot of faith in this team over the last six, seven weeks. And I want to eat crow about it. I feel like if we win against Atlanta, we can win against anybody. Because we've already beat the Patriots. Atlanta on the road is big. Uh, we'll we'll see. Gotta it's, go out, pick it with your heart. That's right. Uh, well, hold on. go out. Maybe not. I mean, maybe if, not. I mean, if they do, I'm gonna go out having picked. If it's, I think it's, I think I would be surprised if this game was more than a touchdown in either direction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I agree. If we make the NFC Championship game, though, I don't want any close scores. I want like. 52 to 3. I think you want this, Brett this scores. Is, yeah, 48 I think this to is two. The, the most challenging NFC opponent we could face. Nathan and I have I been agree. talking I about agree. this. I think we both agreed that out of all the teams in the NFC, this is the one that yeah, is the I, hardest. I actually picked Atlanta because I think this is the team that has the tools to beat us. I don't think Green Bay could come in here and beat us. If we're going to Green Bay, I'd be more worried. But Green Bay at home with revenge, like I really like us in that game. Uh and against going into Dallas against a rookie quarterback, like there, the pressure the, the pressure cooker will be on very quickly. Speaking of which, I have a question. For I just you hope guys. Anthony doesn't play in that game because if we hurt Dak and Anthony comes in, we're in trouble. Tony Romo is going to rip us apart. Uh, agree, Anthony. Uh, Anthony. Uh, I don't know. He has a great playoff history against us. Yeah, maybe he'll maybe he'll like Mark come back in. Size. He'll lead a comeback and then he'll uh, he'll drop an extra point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Kevin, will you uh, lead us in some? In some okay. group plugs. Oh, I was going to do the plug. Oh, I I Nathan, will you lead us in the group plug, please? All right. So uh, if you want our great exclusive Patreon content like single play and multiplay breakdowns, uh, holiday specials, uh, we're going to do a couple of specials over the uh, summer. We'll do a draft special over the summer that I think is going to go up Patreon exclusive. If you like stickers, if you like uh, you know, just being a part of something that's uh, really cool. If you like pina coladas. Uh, it's only a dollar twenty-four a month, and it helps us pay for new equipment. I would love to get better, slightly better sound equipment. I know people. People always say this is one of the best sounding amateur podcasts I listen to, but I'm like, I could, I'm like, I could make it even better. Please give me money. So, so, <laughs> so, so uh, go ahead and uh, give give me money for that. And uh, yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff. And yeah, I got stickers in my drawer right here, and I'm ready to give them away. And last week, I challenged you. The, the faithful, the faithful. I'm gonna call you the faithful forty. I don't know how many there actually are that are really that faithful. Uh, I think we got about but, 160. You know, to figure out we bought them out at. And that's, <laughs> but there's seven of you that I can definitely say are the most faithful: that's Augustine, it. Kimberly, Josh, Brian, Cody, Carrie, and 
Oh, I, I know this last one. It's Michelle. Yep. yep. <laughs> so I know that those seven people are the are the most faithful. No, Brett, Brett, you do not subscribe on Patreon, so you don't get any shout outs right here. Uh, the those are the Your most faithful. To the, to the other faithful it, who helped us nice. last week with our two thousand followers Twitter challenge. Well, you know what? We didn't just make it to two thousand, which we were twenty five under when the week started. We made it to two thousand and fifteen. We gained. 30 followers, which is a really good week for us because actually I don't really put any time into trying to gain Twitter followers. I, you know, because I've noticed a lot of the people who get a lot of followers on Twitter, they're, I don't know the word to put it. They're whoring themselves out to get more followers. <laughs> uh, and you know, we don't really do that. So yeah, it was nice to get, get over the hump. And so I said, if you, if that happens, I'm going to give away some stickers. I'm going to mail out some stickers. So if you send me the message, the secret word, Kevin, what is the secret word? The secret word is... It's too quiet. You gotta say it louder. The secret word is Tatupu. Okay, so if you send Tatupu to our PM box, I will ask you for your address, and you will get a sticker. All right, so just uh, t- DM it to me. Send me a message on Facebook, uh, whatever. And I don't care where you live. So, you know, if you're Argentinian 12, this is your chance right here. That contingency. To, or if you're one get, of our UK fans. Because you know what? I looked up how much flat rate international shipping is, and it's not that bad <laughs> for something this light. So, so yeah, We got some crossover with the UK crowd. We love you guys out there. And you guys represent on Twitter really yeah, well. Yeah, UK Seahawkers. They're good good guys. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be sending out, I'm going to say the first, what do you say, Kevin? Five or ten? Let's go uh, Let's go five, and we'll come up with another promotion later. Yeah, I was going to say, first five for this one, and then the, after that, we'll, we'll, I won't give the same person stickers twice unless they really make me happy somehow. Or sign up for Patreon. <laughs> oh, if they, oh, yeah, if you sign up on Patreon, uh, $3 a the month. The stickers are yours. Stickers, you, I'll send you. I send you more than one sticker. Uh, hopefully, Brian got his stickers. I mailed those ones out like right around Christmas yeah. time. Brian, if you get this, can you DM us? Let can, us know. If can you, got you let our us know stickers? if those stickers actually got there? Like, I've been worried about them because I haven't heard anything and I didn't do like any kind of shipping yeah, tracking. Let's say you didn't do certified mail on that. No. Uh, so, like, I just I just threw them in a bubble mailer and stuck like three stamps on it. I don't even know if that's enough stamps. Like, I was like, because I looked it up and I was like, <laughs> you so, just took it. I got out. Wait, you're gonna like this. I got out a I got out a scale. And I, like a kitchen scale, and I put the, the thing on the kitchen scale, and I'm like, is this enough? St-? And I'm like, how many stamps do I need? So I like, Google, like, how much does a forever stamp get you? And like, all this stupid stuff. And it's so, I needed like, I needed like two and one quarter forever stamps, and I was just like, oh, this is so stupid. So I put three on there, and I'm pretty sure that's enough. You know, Nate, if you use stamps.com, you wouldn't have to worry about this. They, yeah. send, you they send you some your, shipping crap and stuff. They send you your own <laughs> USB yeah. postage scale. Spec go to, ad. Go, to, go, to, go to stamps.com slash Seahawks Nest and then shoot yourself because I'm never doing one of those <laughs> stupid ads. This is the reason. Wait, wait, I'll tell you this. Wait, how, about, how about your undies? Uh, okay, my me undies dot com. The uh, uh, we, dollar oh, no, dollar no, shave club. Can we, wait, can we make a new website at Squarespace? Can we do that as a part of the Patreon? Okay, so here's the thing: you 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 listen to other podcasts and you hear those stupid ads, and I know we have two to three hundred consistent listeners a week, and I know for a fact I could get a little bit of money for shilling out that stupid stuff. Patreon is a way for you to directly support us, where I don't have to say an advertisement for a product that I don't really care about, such as. Hello Fresh. Arby's for when you're hungry enough to eat Arby's. <laughs> How about this? Wait, I have I have a different idea. If you sign up on Patreon, every week we get a new Patreon subscriber. And on the first week of the month, we will do a spec ad where we just oh, no. recommend something good that is local. Oh, They're yeah, not paying us. Like We're just gonna take a restaurant 
or a that cool works. place yeah. that works that is somewhere in the greater Seattle area we'll talk about and our, tell you about our it. Seattle Maybe favorites. a food truck. You know what? I got one. Okay. If you want if you want to have great fried chicken, if you like drinking whiskey, if you love brunch, Maono fried chicken and whiskey is the best. So go to Maono fried chicken and whiskey. That's not Maono, not Moana, the movie with the rock, but Maono, <laughs> the, the fried chicken and whiskey. And where's that? At? That is in West. Oh no, it's in Seattle. West Seattle or just regular Seattle? Okay. I can't. You know what? I'll be honest. The time I went there, I drank a lot. It was. <laughs> they have bottomless mimosas. That is a recommendation if I've ever heard so, one. It's so good. Bottomless uh, mimosas. It's just regular. Four, 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 three, seven, California Avenue. That is up West in the yeah, Junction. That is, that is West, West Seattle. West Seattle. West I wanted to say West Seattle, but then I was like, or is it just regular Seattle? I can't remember. I was slightly Least. intoxicated. <laughs> so, <laughs> Kevin, I'm going to show you some pictures of this place. How does it look? That looks delicious. Oh, man. Look at that egg. But I'm a fat Ooh. man. And That's so Spamasubi right there, bro. That looks really good. Spamasubi so good. Can I get mine in since I probably won't be on the podcast? Nope. Ever again? No. Now you got to no. wait. That was the one. Yep. Look at that fried chicken. You just have to oh. put it in week three next season. We'll save it for you, bro. Yeah. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I love um, fried chicken, once per month when our Patreon money comes in and any week in which we get a new subscriber to Patreon, we will do a spec ad recommending someplace local that you will like because we have good taste. Oh, we will share our tips, good taste. Like tips for Mono to, to Chicken and Whiskey, though, that I do remember. Make a reservation because we tried to just go one. I tried to go once and I didn't go. wasn't able to go because they like were full up. Second, oh, it's like Portland brunch. Second, had to, had to make a reservation. <laughs> well, Portland brunch, can't even make a reservation. You just have to stand, Show sit outside on hours. a crappy wooden bench that some guy built in his Screen wood door, shop. Though, big ups. That was, it was really, no, it was not worth the wait, I but disagree. it was really good. Nothing is worth waiting three hours for to eat. All right, Brett. Hi. I heard that your birthday's coming up and you're taking over my movie club again. Yep. All right, um, let's hear um, it. So I want, I don't really say this movie about the movie, but I want the discussion that logically follows. But the movie is Django Unchained. Yes. We've all seen it. All right. This was, this was kind of big ups for Eric. Django. Um, I mean, I don't know how hard I have to show for this movie. <laughs> Brett is a rambunctious sort. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the name of that guy? He blows the glass down at the, yeah. Um, I don't really know how to pitch for this movie because everyone that I know besides one of my good friends loves it because it is, so hard to describe how well it's made, how funny it is, but also how like uncomfortable every scene like <laughs> makes you. But it's this weird Stockholm syndrome of like it's really uncomfortable, but it's also really funny. And I don't know, I've seen it so many times and it never just never ages. Yes, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Not the most. Uh, not we can't really quote all the things we love about this. Movie. <laughs> no, no, not so much. But yeah, this. Uh, it's what it's a revenge movie. It's it's a trying to get the love of your life back movie. It's uh, a buddy movie. It's a buddy movie, and it's 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 got some wisdom to it. A lot of movies don't have wisdom, even if you like it a lot. It doesn't have wisdom. It was just it a has good movie. the best Jonah Hill cameo. <laughs> in this movie oh my gosh yeah, that Jonah Hill cameo just it just slays me so so hard in that movie yeah that like that scene specifically it's a nice way for it's a nice way for Quentin Tarantino to direct the ridiculous like accusation that's dogged him kind of his whole career uh, that he's some like horrible racist because like it's so ridiculous like the things that happen in the movie and so I don't know it's just it's really good. And this what? movie... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say this movie has what every Quentin Tarantino movie has. 
and that is an acting performance by an actor you forgot about. Mm-hmm. This movie features Don Johnson. It does. From Miami Vice. Mm-hmm. Yes. As... Big Daddy. Big Daddy. <laughs> I don't know what you mean, Big Daddy. What? What's the name of the kid down at the corner store? Jerry. <laughs> That's right. You treat him like you treat uh, Jerry. This movie encompassed like 90% of our friendship <laughs> for three months, Eric. Yeah, really. And like, you were there the first time that I ever watched it all the way through. Because one time you came really? over. Yeah, you came over and I was like, yeah, I tried to start I tried to start Django and Shanks. I've never seen it. And I fell asleep and you were like, well, put it on, man. It's great. And I was like, all right. And then we watched it and I was like, oh my God, this movie is awesome. But what I want to know is, does it crack your top three Quentin Tarantino movies? That's why I brought it up. Oh, for me? For me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So what's what's it kicking out? Is it kicking out Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, or Kill Bill Volume 1? You can combine both Kill Bills, as is the Lord's way. Well, if it's Uh, my way, I'm keeping one Kill Bill. For me, it's fifth. Like... Yeah. It's Kill Bill is one movie, and uh, Reservoir Dogs, and Pulp Fiction, and uh, Inglorious uh, Bastards. Oh, I don't like Inglorious Bastards that much. I, I thought it, it was okay. It's hard for me to, I don't know, Jangle Unchained and Inglorious Bastards might be 4A, 4B. Okay. It's really hard for me on those. Here's the thing. I'll say this. If I can just, I, I hate this. I don't want to sound pretentious. I love Pulp Fiction, one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. Reservoir Dogs, I feel, is cinema, and I cannot kick it out. Kill Bill is a watch all the time because it's violent and I can, and it's mindless, and I can have it on in the background, and that's why it's kicked but out. The second half of that in. movie, <gasps> like Reservoir part Dogs two, is so is, good. Reservoir Dogs might be my one. That's great. Is, it's a great movie. Is so, like part two of Kill Bill is so like well paced and interesting, and like. Agreed. I don't know. I feel like it really like adds to the experience because, like, you're right. Kill Bill I gotta Volume... watch that with you because I don't like Kill Bill two. Kill that Bill much. Volume one is like a, it's like a, it's a cartoon. It's a, it's like candy, and then after you eat the candy, you get to, you get to sip the fine champagne of a, <laughs> of Kill Bill Volume two. And I don't know. It seems like it shouldn't work, but it totally does. For so you talk about like one of those things where you're taking the shot and like they give you like the candy you put on your tongue. You're supposed to let melt, and then you take the shot with the candy. It's not that. It's, bad. A, it's absinthe, is what is what Kevin's guys... saying. You know, you you guys can save Kill Bill. I don't want to make this, you know, the Quentin Tarantino block, but uh, favorite oh, we scene? we usually do a little bit. Favorite scene from Django? We can go in a circle, Kevin. Um, I, you know, it's gotta actually be the uh, the first scene with the the doctor. Where I haven't practiced dentistry in years, <laughs> and just I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to say if you walk this way, it's just the whole way the scene set up and the way it completely establishes characters and the kind of ridiculous floating undertone of the movie where everything, you know, it's it's like somebody was like, hey, what if we made a horrifyingly realistic Yosemite Sam skit? <laughs> <laughs> and that good. scene kind of good. establishes that vibe. Plus, too, that he'd never really been in anything, and then it was like, "Yep, here you go." He's like, you know, like the, he's the man in this movie. <laughs> so yeah, so that was super cool. Uh, my favorite scene, so many that I find enjoyable and comical, and and like the end scene where where Django just uh you know is is unchained. Uh, it's it's amazing. But I'll just say this: I feel very strongly. Leonardo DiCaprio was was just robbed of an Oscar in this movie. I thought he was incredible because he, at the same time, he plays, he says his lines are often funny. He is extremely disturbing. 
He is uncomfortable to watch DiCaprio. He's a disgusting human in this movie. It's He's a very inhuman human. And he's playing an era in yes, body. Yes, exactly, Kevin. And he's he's it's one of those things where, like, when he's funny, you realize that, yeah, the, the devil is quite suave and he does like to seduce you. Um, I just feel like he was, he was robbed. And also there's a scene where, uh, he violently says the N word and says some terrible things. But when he does, he breaks a glass and it's for dramatic effect and everything. And his hand is bleeding and he does some disgusting things with the blood. Uh, one disgusting thing that was, uh, mostly improvised because the glass broke and, uh, our, our good friend Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, carries on and just makes it part of the scene. That is my favorite scene. DiCaprio is like super method, and uh, one thing about him is that he, uh, that like I have a famous story about this. It's about Wolf of Wall Street, so it's not totally related. But he like will just go method, and he was really punching Jonah Hill in the stomach all the time when they made that movie together. And so there was a scene where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio had to eat sushi, and he was really eating it, and uh, Jonah not spitting it out after the take. And Jonah Hill just like kept making screwing it up on purpose so that he would throw up the sushi because he was mad at him for punch, make, punching him in the stomach. <laughs> Shooting. So he goes super method, just like you said. Uh, Why, that's a great story. A story, a story for this movie with DiCaprio yeah. is that he was he was holding back, and Jamie Foxx and Samuel L. Jackson, both in the movie, had to pull DiCaprio aside and say, "What's your thing?" And he's like, "I'm having a real problem, just yeah. letting loose of the whole N word." And these two gentlemen said, I, "We want you to just leave it all out there." Also, too, in that scene, he contributed. Um, I guess. For lack of, you know, like spoiling, he contributed the plot device that that whole scene is based around. You know, like what he's like demonstrating. Yeah, like really. Yeah, like he wrote, like he wrote that in. Like he was like, hey, I was reading about this. And it's really, st- you know, it's really messed up and crazy that people used to believe this. So like, can I, I put did this not in the scene? know that? Yeah, and then oh. him and wrote that. Yeah, so, I. Yeah, one thing I like awesome. about this movie is it makes you like legitimately uncomfortable with the yes. level of violence Constantly. and Constantly. the language and stuff. And I think that's the point. There's like, no punches. It's supposed to unsettle you. Like it's a, you're supposed to like reflect on like how crazily bad things that happened were. And uh, I like, I kind of enjoy, uh, that is one thing I respect about this movie. I don't, this isn't like in my like, you know, upper echelon of favorite movies, but I respect the hell out of what they did. And I, there are parts of this movie that are awesome. Favorite thing is Franco Nero uh, has a, has an awesome cameo in this movie. Where he drinks a shot with uh, Django. Franco Nero is the original yeah, yeah, Django, yeah. of course. <laughs> and uh, Django looks at him and says, "The D is silent." And he just looks back at him and goes, "I know." And then <laughs> takes the Especially shot because that comes after, like, or like, yeah, like that comes after the easily the most uncomfortable part of the whole movie. Yeah. So like, just that complete break. Yeah, like uh, back into it. Yeah, that's. I was gonna say, Nathan, like uh, you were telling the Wolf of Wall Street sushi story, like that. This movie, it is, it is a treat. It's delicious. It's wonderful, and then immediately you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I do like Wolf of Wall Street. So, as well. You like, right. you kind of have this realization because you're enjoying the violence, you're enjoying seeing all people down, and then you're like, wait, this is kind of there's lots of this stuff actually was happening to people, and like, and then you just the like scene are with like, the dogs, and you're like, uh, that's, that's so hard to watch. I don't like mm-hmm. this. I don't like this anymore. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It, well, th- it seems a little green in the gills for someone who. Anyway. So, yeah. uh, Brett, your favorite scene uh, from from the moment that they get to the big house to when they go inside that whole like five to seven minutes because that's when you meet Sam Jackson's character, and that's when when you meet Sam Jackson's character, you realize that. You know, some things aren't what they seem, and that makes it even more of kind of a like, oh, you know, this whole thing is like, yeah, 
and just the systemic the, nature of everything. Exactly, yeah. And then that sets up the entire second half of the movie, which is also awesome. So you know, since it wasn't completely brought up, then I have to bring up the um, the first job that they go on together, the the doctor and Django. When they uh, go into the town and they uh, collect the bounty on the guy and end up holed up in the saloon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the way that entire Grab the Marshall. Yeah, 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 it's great. <laughs> Marshall guillotine him. Like, yeah. That yep. whole scene. Like, this is a movie of acts. It, it runs like a play. Yes. And you can go act by act, you know, opening act. And, you know, the ambiance set up, they're marching through kind of the, um, the brushland. Uh, you have the, uh, um, the, the slave traders who are being, you know, cruel and boorish in nature. You have the snow scenes. You have the snow scenes. Get some coffee. Got the snowy snow. Got some cake. My birthday. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Yes. It's just every scene has character and personality and it all, inevitably winds up to that oh you thought that this was going to be um you know like a positive story no remember this is about slavery this is going to be horrifying and really messed up yeah and so it does a good job of kind of regrounding where no matter what happens he keeps coming back to no no no, this is terrifying this is everything's going to go wrong and so just yeah the way each act is opened and closed and it's a really character driven movie it's just it is and it's an interesting movie i don't think it's a 10 i don't even think it's a nine but it's in that eight range and it's a really very very watchable movie i think it's one of those movies i would definitely put in that you should see it if you're if you're a movie person yeah i feel good about my pick because we're debating between the eights and the tens because if i just wanted to stir some shit up I'd have been like, Hateful Eight is one of the best movies ever, because I know that that would have split this room apart right. at the scene. I don't like Hateful Eight. I've watched it like ten times and the I last two weeks. I have not seen like it. it. I have not seen it. I didn't have All a reason right. to. I like it more and more every time that I see it. But anyway. Yeah, thanks, guys. I just can't me, uh, I just can't even imagine watching it again, man. You're you're uh, It gets so much better, but thanks for letting me squat on a movie week. I appreciate it. You're gritty you're a gritty fellow. Yeah. That's all I gotta say. Brit's gritty. <laughs> if you've seen Hateful quite Eight, a that, really sense. that movie is gritty. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, uh, this is the... Spirited. (laughs) That's me to a T, all right. This is the the end of the divisional round of the playoff podcast. I'd like to thank Brett Hancock for showing up to his baby, to his child. feels good. You guys do a better job than I ever could have hoped, so thank you. Kevin Garber for his in-depth analysis of all things at all positions and uh, having my Zach Zenner stats when I only knew three-quarters of it. Nathan Santo for also having stats and, of course, knowing all the Patreon knowledge and uh, being. I know, but I did think Jacob Tammy wasn't hurt, so you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not perfect. That's why. That's why we work together, there, Nate. <laughs> and uh, me, who I just get to, uh, I just get to ask questions and go, "There, what do you think?" So, uh, yeah, join us next week when hopefully we're celebrating a big Seahawks win. Uh, for Nathan Santo, Brett Hancock, Kevin Garber, I'm Eric Ronbeck. Go Hawks! Smash that like button. Vader's bubble.